0: for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks. All right. So let me get straight into this thing. We We were talking, we've been talking out of Psalms for the last, I think, seven weeks. We got We've got a total of 10, so I think we have three after this one, maybe. I don't know. We'll be done when we're done. How about that? (laughs) Uh, Particularly, I've enjoyed this Psalm series and what it's taught me. I hope that it's taught you something, encouraged you, blessed you. Uh, And last week, we talked about clarity out of Psalms 73, where in the presence of God, we find clarity. And we, we find and rediscover our vision, our awe of God and understanding of who he is and how incredible he is. And those things should cause us to drive towards him, not, not, not back up from him, but to embrace him fully. And that's the life that we live. We, we live in a world that is, I mean, all rights and purposes is, is destroying itself. But God's still in control. God's still sovereign. God hasn't forgotten us. And so I didn't intend for the series to turn out like it has, but it seems like every psalm that we discussed specifically speaks to our trusting in God's trustworthiness. Amen? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, one of two of my favorite psalms, uh, Psalms 91. There's two Psalms that, if you'll look in my Bible, you're going to find the most notes in. One is Psalms 91, and the other one is Psalms 51. When I'm nervous, or when I'm unsure about something, if I'm not sure God really has me, or can I tell you, I know that's a weird place, probably to hear your pastor be from time to time, but there are times where I believe, but I ask God to help me with my unbelief areas too. And so I find myself in Psalms 91 being encouraged, right? Right? And then when I fall short, which is probably something weird for y'all to hear too, but I try to be transparent, I ain't always getting it right. And I'd like to go to Psalms 51 and see where David, in the horrible things that he did, God was willing to forgive him. And because he's willing to forgive him, what a repentant heart looks like, and that he's willing to forgive me. Amen? And so it's they're two beautiful texts for two different reasons, um, to me specifically, but they all boil down to, I trust God to forgive me, in Psalms 91, I trust God to protect me, and today we're going to talk about the protection of God out of Psalms 91. Before I do that, let me tell you about a, my, my youngest child. I don't know if you guys have a second child, but that second child just hits different. That second child don't care about nothing. <laughs> yeah. Like they they just they all about their own business, and I I d I can't I can't explain it. it. It just is what it is. I'm a second child. Um but my Madison is our second is my second child. And she don't care about nothing. It certainly did. Well, she does now, but when she was young, little bitty, she didn't care about nothing. She wasn't scared of anything. She wasn't concerned about whether or not I approved of what she was doing. Can I Can I get a mama or a dad in here to say hey, amen? Y'all know what I'm talking about? So Madison was probably two years old, maybe a little bit older than that, and we're in her room playing one day, and... She liked to wrestle, she loved to fight. She punched her sister in the face one time, just came out of her bedroom, just just buck naked with a bag of Doritos on her head, walked over to her sister and punched her and then ran out laughing. But that's that's who she was. So she liked to wrestle and do those kinds of things. And we were in her room, and she had climbed up on the top bunk, which was her sister's bunk. which She knew she wasn't supposed to be up there. And I bent down, and I was playing with her, kind of wrestling with her. And I bent down to pick up something she had thrown on the floor. And while I'm picking it up, I hear, hey, Daddy. And I turn around, and this kid has just launched herself off the top bunk. Now, I'm away from her. My back's turned towards her. And she just took off she decided that she could fly and that's what she tried to do and so I was able to back when I was physically able to young and wiry I was able to turn grab her before she hit the ground pull her into myself and I landed on my back she's on top of me like that's what was supposed to happen that was her plan the whole time and I asked her I said why would you do that you know because I I'm I'm glad she's okay, but there's that moment where you're terrified at the same time, and you're, why would you do something like that? And she just looked at me in her own two-year-old vernacular, whatever that, I can't remember exactly what it was, but essentially she said, because you're my daddy. And I didn't understand or appreciate the weight of that until she grew up. She launched herself into a position of danger fully expecting that I would catch her, that I wouldn't let harm come to her for no other reason than her experience, which we've talked about, led her to believe that I could be trusted. And that's exactly what she expected us to do. That's exactly what she expected me to do. Quite honestly, it's still exactly what she expects us to do. Um, She runs and jumps and does something stupid and we have to catch her before she hits the floor sometimes but she's willing to trust enough to make the leap. Amen? And we need to get to that same place with God. The Psalms 91, just to give you some context, was probably, most likely, because of where it's positioned in the the Psalms, uh, a Psalm of Moses. And theologians or whatever would tell you that it's likely that He sang this song or wrote it or both um, when the wilderness tabernacle was finally opened. And so he, from a position of trust, based on experience, based on faith, made these declarations of God and what he knew based on his faith and his experience God was capable of doing. And what we need to do I feel like, is we need to be willing to jump off the top bunk into the arms of God the way my daughter jumped into mine and the way Moses was willing to jump into God's. Moses had all the reasons in the world not to, not to walk out his faith. If, if you don't know the story of Moses, he was in the desert for four, he was 40 years old when he ran to the desert, 40 years old. 40 years later, was in the desert, and then came back and then led the people of God, Israel, through the desert for another 40 years, those are all jump out of your bed faith expectations. Amen? Could you imagine God telling you, however inarticulate he may have been, I've heard people say different things, that you are gonna be the leader of my people, drawing them out of slavery and bondage and into the promised land? when you knew the adversary you'd be going against, but you trusted based on your faith and your experience to take the leap anyway? The question is, how did he come to such a place? More specifically, how can we come to such a place? Because these things are written for us. They were written down so that we, generationally, can explain them to one another and to the next generation, amen? And so I wanna talk to you today about trusting in God's protection in trusting with that just leap off the top bunk faith based on experience. And I don't know about you guys, but I have a lot of reasons to jump off my top bunk now. But I didn't have jump off my top bunk faith the first time I had to jump off my top bump. When God said, you're going to stop 20 years of law enforcement go into full-time vocational ministry, y'all don't understand who I worked for, right? He was firing pastors left and right all the time. And so I was giving up potentially 20 years of law enforcement career to chase what I believe God told me to do because I believe that God could do it. Amen? But I still needed help with my faith. I left there, planted this church because I believed it's what God told me to do. And so we jumped, we jumped off the top bunk together, expecting that no matter what happened, God would have us. And that's what we can, that's a place we can all come to. Amen. Provided we pay attention to the verbiage as it's laid out in Psalms 91. And if we do that, I believe it'll make our ability to make that leap a lot easier. And so I don't, I normally on Wednesday nights, I I go verse by verse and I'll, I'll read like two or three verses and then explain that and then two or three verses and explain that. Although I do intend to go back and explain, before I do anything, I want you to hear the whole Psalm. I'm going to read the whole Psalm 91 to you. And this is what I want. You can turn, you can read with me if you want to. But what I'd wish for you to do is to close your eyes and imagine a God like this. To let the full weight of the word rest heavily on you as I read this song. And so it starts like this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night. Or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place no evil will befall you nor will any plague come near your tent for he will give you angel for he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways they will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone you will tread upon the lion and cobra the young lion and the serpent will Tramp you will trample down because he has loved me. Notice the change in who's speaking. This is now God speaking through Moses, not Moses making a declaration. He says, because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? How many of you guys would love these promises over your life? Right? If if you're not, we need to have another conversation completely. (laughs) But since we all want this kind of comfort that comes with this kind of trust, we have to start where the psalmist starts, where Moses starts. The key to unlocking all of these blessings, all of these promises, everything written in Psalms 91 is found in the first two verses. There's four names for God given in these verses. It says this, It says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Listen to me. The names of God identified here are Most High, the Almighty, the Lord, and my God he unlocking everything else rests in our understanding of this. What a, So let's talk about what this means. Most high means God has supremacy above all things. You know how I find trust? Recognizing that my God is bigger than every other thing. He deserves supremacy in my life and when he gets supremacy in my life, I'm promised that he'll take care of me. It's the it's the genesis, the reason why Exodus chapter twenty explains in the Ten Commandments says this you shall make for yourself, I'm sorry, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for your for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven, above or on the earth, because or beneath or in the water, under the earth, you shall not worship them or serve them. Do you know why? For I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So what's he saying? He's saying, you don't have any other gods. You don't make any other gods because I am the supreme. I am most high God. As Most High God, we can worship the way we're supposed to worship. When we acknowledge that God is most High, we can, according to Matthew 22:37, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength. Amen. How is that possible? Because he is supreme in my life. And if he is the supreme thing, if he is the singular thing by which I declare all other things, then I have to look towards him with him in mind and him in view to ensure that he watches over and protects me. And it says that he is. The Bible is replete with God being the most high, being capable, being willing, being able to take care of us. Amen. And so, how do I build trust? I recognize that my God's bigger than any other thing. I don't have to make another idol because what would what would be the purpose? Am I going to make something that I identify with that succ- succumbs or submits to to my desires, my passions? No, because I'm not supposed to do that. As the most high God, he has the greatest privilege in my life. Every decision that I make, every action that I take should be taken with this transcendent understanding of God that from horizon to horizon God is period. Amen. Amen. Who did he identify himself to as to who did he identify himself as to Moses? I am. When they ask who sent you, I am sent you. He is the most high. There's nothing that I can explain. I don't have a, my mind is too finite to explain how big and majestic and beautiful and lovely and capable he is. I've told you guys before, I think probably my hardest, the hardest part of my job, is isn't the two o'clock in the morning phone calls. It isn't even the prepping for sermons. It isn't any of those things. The singular hardest thing that I have to do week in and week out is to try to paint a picture for you with my finite mind of an infinite God. Because our minds aren't capable. But you know what we should do? We should worship Him and pursue Him with everything that we are, our heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, because He deserves us to do those things. So I begin to build my trust because I understand who he is. But he's not just the most high according to this word. He is the almighty. Somebody needs this in their life. Your God is stronger than any other thing. Stop giving precedence to your problem over your provisional God. Man, we spend so much time glorifying our issue. If we'd spend half that amount of time glorifying the fact that God is almighty, our issue will become irrelevant in our trust that he's capable of taking care of that issue for us. I mean, certainly Moses, who wrote this, understood the almighty, powerful nature of God. He watched the plagues happen in Egypt. He watched the, the most powerful man on earth essentially bow his knee to God and do what God told him to do. Why? Because he's mightier than the mightiest mightiest king. He's stronger than the mightiest river. He's more vast than the deepest ocean. He is, he is, he is. And it's time that God's people, recognizing his transcendent ability, recognize that within that ability is his ability to take care of us. That he is the most powerful. I can trust in God because I know who's going to come against me if God is for me. According to Romans chapter 8, no one. That's right. But we need to grab a hold of that and internalize it and walk in it. Man, I could preach to you guys all day long, but if you don't take this home and meditate on it and pray on it and ask God to give you wisdom and revelation regarding it, guess what I've done? I've wasted my time and yours because all I can do is feed you. You have to seek after God on your own, which means you need to spend time in prayer, which means you need to spend time reading your word, which means that you need to be obedient to cut out some of that white noise in your life so that you can hear the voice of God for yourself through the word, through the spirit, through wise counsel. That's kind of a tangent, but just this, this where my head's at, so... We need to understand that He is most high. As He is transcendent, He is most powerful. Amen? I feel like I could continue to talk about that. But I've got other things to talk about, so let's talk about that too. (laughs) He is Lord. The author, Moses, allegedly, says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress. What does it mean when I call God Lord? It's a a title of authority. When I say you are Lord, it's exactly what I mean. That He is Lord. When He calls Himself Lord, that's exactly what He means. That means that you have to walk in obedience to the Lordship of God. I tell you guys all the time out of John chapter 14, if you want to prove that you belong to God, people say, well, my works don't save me. No, but let me tell you, your works prove that you were saved in the first place because if I'm if i if going to walk around, call Jesus Lord, but not do what he says, the Bible's very specific in John 14 verses 15, 21, 23, and 24. That's how many times he said it because he needs us to understand it. That we don't get to choose anything other than obedience because obedience proves we love him, that God loves us, and in our obedience, God reveals himself to us. Boy, that's powerful. Yeah, man, I just can't. I can't seem to find the place of trust where I can just trust God. I can let go of this problem that I'm carrying around because this is what we do. And I've used this illustration before. We take our problem. Let's pretend this is my problem. My problem is I ain't got enough money in here. But so I, I put my problem on the altar. Y'all ever leave a problem up here on the altar or an altar of prayer somewhere? And then ten minutes later, you look down, it's still there, and you go, know, hmm. God, I, this is still here. Still dealing with this. About 30 minutes later, I'm being silly, of course. Maybe a couple of days later, you're still dealing with the problem. And then you all you finally decide, you know what? You got a lot going on. I'll just carry this right until you can get to it. Let me tell you, he's not going to get to anything. You leave, you pick back up and take away from him. huh? Lordship means obedience. Obedience means letting go of what God has for us so that we might get revelation of what God has for us. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't have enough revelation yet. I don't think we can ever have, with our finite minds, enough revelation of who God is. If we call him Lord, he has to be Lord. You guys have heard me say, cafeteria Christianity isn't Christianity at all. And what I mean by that, for those that may not have heard it, I can't go walk down this line and say, I'm going to take a little bit of that. I'm going to take a little bit of that. Mm, I don't like that. That messes too much with my personal space. I'm going to leave that. Oh, but I will have an extra helping of that. You take the whole plate or you don't take nothing. Because otherwise, you haven't declared lordship. You've declared preference. And God doesn't bless your preference. He blesses your obedience and your submission. As Pastor Leonard says, and I quote all the time, your blessing is on the other side of your obedience. You want the blessing of the protection that God has to offer us? Then you need to recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in recognizing that Jesus Christ is Lord, submit to the fact that he's Lord. All right. I don't got a little sweaty. I I plan on teaching the whole thing, but I got six minutes left, so probably not going to make the whole thing. But let me tell you, if you can just get this piece right, God will take care of the rest. But there's another name. And he says this, my God in whom I trust. God declares God is eternal and eternally trustworthy. When I say God, I mean He is absolutely perfect in every way, immutable, that He shows no preference, that He works perfectly and is perfectly capable of taking care of me. And He's perfectly capable of taking care of you too. Amen? Man, I want you to grab a hold of who your God is so that you can understand who you are. It's our biggest problem. We're so convinced that either God is incapable or I'm not worthy, that we don't spend the time searching Him the way we should. But the Bible says in order to get all of these things, to to have access to this God in this particular psalm, in verse one it says, I have to dwell. There. In verse 9, it says, I have to take refuge in that dwelling place. You know what that means? That means I got to trust Him in, according to this, for deliverance from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence, which is verse 3. Those are two different things. Let me tell you what the Bible says about this pestilence that we worry about, pestilence, disease, sickness, Isaiah 53, 4, and 5 says, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. Can somebody say amen on that? I don't care how big your disease, how big your sickness, how big your ailment. All I know is one thing. God is bigger than that. He is God. He is Lord. He is the Most High. He is all of these things and capable of taking care of you and has in Christ Jesus taken care of you. But out of that, we read this. Matthew eight seventeen. This was to fulfill what was spoken through, prophet, through Isaiah the prophet. He himself did took our infirmities, our weaknesses, and carried away our diseases. Amen? And I know that creates conflict. And I want to make sure our theology and our doctrine sound. Because somebody's all, well, I lost somebody after I prayed for them. You didn't lose them. Heaven gained them and you'll see them again. Guess what? Their diseases and their infirmities were still removed from them. God is still capable and true to his promises. But that doesn't mean that we don't have the authority in Christ Jesus to pray and have seen miracles of cure diseases and healings, but we are the conduit to pray through which that happens so that people cannot grow their trust in my prayers, but through my prayers put their trust in Jesus. Amen. I I I gotta tell you, it frustrates me. From time to time, people will say, "Pastor Jim, I'm gonna come by to church. I'm gonna I'm gonna get you to pray for me." Well, I mean, it's not that I don't I mind praying. Praise God, I get to. But if you're surrounded by people who pray, get them to too. Because my prayers ain't special; they're just sincere. And well, honestly, that may make them special. I don't know. Because I don't know how many people pray truly sincere prayers. But if we will pray in faith in the name of Jesus, then the Bible tells us that we can expect our prayers to be answered. Amen? Amen. So that's the, the, according to verse 3, that's the deadly pestilence. But what about the snare of the trapper? God promises to deliver you from that too. That's trial and temptation. You know how you snare an animal? Anybody here ever done any trapping? You know how to snare an animal? You put something in its path and it becomes so familiar with it that it stops paying attention to it. And then, as soon as it stops paying attention to it, it steps its foot in it it's trapped by whatever is ensnared it. The problem is too many of us have grown comfortable being around something that shouldn't be in our life, and it's created a, a snare in our life. Amen? But you know what? We, we can chuck that off. By the in the name of Jesus, by the power that God has, and that He has provided for us, that He promises not just to keep us and protect us. People say this, and it, it cracks me up. Uh, well, it doesn't crack me up; it frustrates me, honestly. First Corinthians, chapter ten, verse thirteen. Many of you know where I'm going. Well, I thought I had it. That's Daniel. First Corinthians. That's in the New Testament, right? right On the right side, okay. First Corinthians ten through thirteen, or ten thirteen, says this: No temptation has overtaken you, no snare, no trial or tribulation or temptation has overtaken you, but such as common to man. So, first, the writer of Corinthians, which is who is Paul, says: First off, let me start with. You ain't dealing with nothing. Ain't nobody other. Nobody else already dealt with. There's nothing new under the sun. Jesus beat it. So many thousands before you beat it, you can beat it too. So he says, common to man and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able. And we stop reading the verse. God promises he's not going to tempt me beyond what I'm able. So I'm just going to kind of... Mm-hmm willy-nilly, do whatever I want to. But that's not what the Word says. The Word continues, but with the temptation, the trial, the, the snare, will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. What? I don't like that. You know why we don't read that half of the verse? Because that half of the verse, if we're going to truly be capable of, of trusting God enough to watch over us in that snaring process requires that I take accountability for what I allow in my life. Otherwise, if it stopped where I said people stop reading it, they can just say, well, I'm going to do whatever I want, and God's just going to make sure I stay safe. No, you're going to do whatever you want. Something stupid is going to happen to you because you're being stupid. Take the opportunity that God gave you to escape that problem. You know what? If you know you got a drinking problem, your opportunity to avoid that drinking problem is to avoid going in a bar. But if you go in that bar and you don't take the opportunity afforded you to escape that problem, guess what? You're probably going to fall into the trap of that snare. But that's not because God wasn't the most high, not because God isn't Lord, not because God isn't trustworthy, but because you have been acting foolishly. Amen? So we trust Him. We believe in Him. It says to dwell in Him, to take refuge in Him, to dwell in Him because He has loved me. If I do these things, then I have four promises. One, He will set me securely on high because He has known my name. He will hold me in His righteous right hand, lift me above the circumstances of my life, watch over me, protect me, and keep me. Two, he will call upon me and I will answer him. How many of you guys have a prayer that you'd love to have answered? Maybe if we acknowledge God in the full weight of who he was to the best of our ability, while at the same time dwelling and taking refuge in him, we'd see that prayer answered. And then he says, I will be with him in trouble and I will rescue him and honor him. Say, if you'll just... Well, I told you, everything hinges on those first two verses. If you'll acknowledge who he is, dwell in him, trust in him, it doesn't matter what pestilence is out there. Did you know one angel destroyed 185,000 soldiers? Did you know that? That's in your Old Testament. That's amazing to me. And God provides angels to those who are faithful to minister to them. Do you not know that angels are ministering spirits unto those who receive the promise of salvation? That's what it says in Hebrews. And so if one angel is capable of that, then surely God is capable of taking care of my trouble through the presence of that one angel. Man, that's good. What am I trying to do, man? I'm just trying to build your trust in the God you say you serve already. And then finally he says with a long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. And he will. There's a text and it's the reason why I had it marked in Daniel. This is the kind of trust I, I pray we can all get to. You guys know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? the king Nebuchadnezzar built an idol to himself and he said this. In verse 15, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I have set up? Now, if you are ready At the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands. Can I tell you what their response to that was? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, problem. Oh, situation. We do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. But if it be so, our God, capital G, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us of out of your hand. Now, I want you to pay attention to two words. He's able to, is a, he's capable, but where am I? His will is an absolute. He's able to, and whether or not he saves me physically or not, he will take me out of that furnace. He will protect me in that furnace, even if it means the end of my life. I trust him enough. And they say this, God, this is great. And it's my prayer for us. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that you are not going, That we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. When we come to truly trust God, we have that moment where we're willing to jump off that top bunk and say, God is able to save me. He will save me. But let me tell you, even if he doesn't, from this fiery furnace, I'm going to trust him anyway. Amen? Because we don't need to give voice to our problem. We need to give prayer, worship, and adoration to our God and watch him show himself trustworthy. Amen? Amen?